Well, we are uh, finishing up a message series called Good Endings this morning. And the goal of this series has been to help us write a good ending to our ministry together. But it's also important that we all know how to end things well. Uh, So we've been looking at some key elements of good endings that we find in the stories of Scripture. The first week we uh, talked about that good endings leave us hopeful. Uh, if the ending of the story, there's no hope, then that's not a, that's not a good story. Then last week we uh, talked about that good endings leave us resolved. And hopefully that resolve is to serve Christ with all that we have. And then the focus of this message, the third element in a good ending is this, that good endings leave you cheering. Good endings leave you cheering. Um, there's some kind of a victory. Someone rises up or overcomes. Uh, the good guys win out against overwhelming odds. Good endings leave you cheering. And we all love a good ending. And endings matter because life is full of endings. And endings have much more power and influence than we sometimes realize. I was reading this uh, or listening to a podcast this week by Daniel Pink. Uh, he's the author of the book When, and he talks about when's the best time to do things. And he's gathered a tremendous amount of uh, research on beginnings, midpoints, and endings. And he says that there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that endings uh, have an interesting effect on our behavior as well as our perception of what's true about people and situations and life in general. And first off, he says that endings can energize us. You know, you see that finish line up ahead, and you dig deep, and you give it all that you've got, and you run for the the finish line, and it energizes us to finish well. But he says that endings can also cause us to slow down and to reflect and to seek more meaning in the next chapter of our life. For instance, can can you guess at what age a a person is most likely to run a marathon for the first time? All good guesses? All wrong? 29. 29. You are twice as likely to run a marathon at 29 than you are at 30. Can you, can you guess? <laughs> can you guess another time, though, that you're, you're likely to run a marathon for the first time? 39, right. How about another time? 49, exactly. You are three times more likely to run a marathon for the first time at 49 than you are at 50. So if you're 29, 39, or 49, there may be a marathon in your future. You know, just keep that in mind. Another study reveals our preference for good endings, and um, we're going to do a little mini study right here this morning. So if your spouse comes home, or your boss walks into the office, or you sit down to coffee with a friend, and they ask you the, or they say to you, "I've got some good news and some bad news." Which do you want first? Which, which would be your answer? You want the bad news first? Anybody want the good news first? All right, a couple. 
Well, that's pretty much what the research discovered, that four out of five people want the bad news first. Uh, they want to save the good for last. So there's this strong preference for endings that elevate, to, to end things on a positive note. There's also a huge amount of research that shows that what happens at the end of anything, whether it's a conversation or an encounter or experience, a vacation, um, even the end of life, the ending disproportionately affects how we remember the whole experience. Uh, if the waiter gets the bill messed up at the end of the meal, that affects how you remember it. If you get a free dessert at the end, that, that will change how you feel about the whole meal. As we think about beginnings, middles, and endings, the ending carries a disproportionate weight on how we evaluate and remember the whole experience. We have this tendency to remember an entire experience based on the ending. So that means that good endings matter, right? It's important to end well. Now, having said that, I feel a tremendous amount of pressure today <laughs> to, you know, as I deliver this last message. But, you know, if I blow it today, there goes seven years of sermons, right? <laughs> what? But I guess if I, I nail it, then, you know, you might forget all the boring ones. But So Daniel Pink's book and his research search points to something that we already know. Endings matter, and I believe every person here wants to live a life and live a, write a story that leaves people in all of heaven cheering at the end. So today uh, we're going to look at as we come to this uh, last chapter in our story together, we're going to talk about how to write an ending that makes people cheer or leaves people cheering. And the focus of today's message is that when God is in it, every chapter can end with cheering. When God is in it, every chapter can end with cheering. It's said that uh, stories are how we understand and catalog and make sense of the world. And the reason that that rings true to me is because when you look at God's story, the Bible, you find story after story after story after story. God uses stories to help us understand who he is and how he wants us to live. And as you're reading through scripture, you discover that the stories that leave you cheering are those that have some kind of dramatic turnaround in them. Things would have turned out differently, could have turned out differently, would have turned out differently if God hadn't brought about an unexpected turnaround. God is the master story writer, and he seems to favor these come-from-behind, uh, underdog wins, twists and turns kinds of stories. And in Scripture, they always point to God and a God that writes great endings. And uh, they help us remember that God gets the last word. When God is in it, every chapter can end with cheering. So if you think about the great turnaround stories in the Bible, we have jo Joseph, right? He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in prison. He's forgotten. 
But then God does this amazing turnaround, and he's elevated to the second most powerful man in Egypt. And he ends up rescuing the very brothers that sold him into slavery and saving their families from starvation. Or how about the parting of the Red Sea, right? God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, but then here they are at the water's edge, the uh, Egyptian armies coming up from behind, and God parts the sea and his people go across on dry land. Or how about David and Goliath? This little guy, the young boy, defeats this gigantic enemy with a slingshot and a stone. All of these stories leave you cheering. And as we look at these stories, we can find some common uh, elements that are needed for an ending that leaves people cheering. And the first is that in these stories, there's some kind of difficulty to overcome. There's something hard that has to be done, and uh, a giant has to be faced. These stories end with people cheering. The ones that end with people cheering, there's always an obstacle that has to become overcome. If there's no conflict, if there's no uh, adversity, no challenges, then there's no cheering, right? So it's important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to recognize this. Jesus said that we'll have to take up our cross and follow him, but there'll be tough stuff to go through if we're going to be his disciple. So to write a story worth cheering, there are three things that we'll need to do. And the first is to overcome what may seem like impossible obstacles. Overcome obstacles. You know, sometimes we limit God's activity in our life because there's something, some kind of a barrier or an obstacle that's going to have to be overcome. And we either don't trust God to get us through that or we don't believe that God can use us. But scripture tells us a different story. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32, 17, he said, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Uh, This God who made everything, there's nothing that's too hard for him. He makes everything possible. And good endings leave people cheering are the ones that the outcome Um, are the outcome of overcoming hurts, limitations, and impossibilities to allow this all-powerful God to work his miraculous turnaround in your life. I'm uh, standing here today because of a battle that God brought me through 27 years ago. Uh, In January 1991, I began to sense that God was calling me into ministry But I had dropped out of college to to marry Forrest and start a family 20 years before that. And at that point, I was more interested in my MRS degree than I was in a master's degree, Um, which, by the way, was uh, the smartest choice that I've ever made. Um, He's followed me around (laughs) and uh, been such a great source of support. Um, over these 20 years of ministry and before that, but I just thank him. I can't, I can't say enough uh, about that. But so that was a good choice. But I was young. I, I started college at 17, and I was in love. And 
pretty soon after we were married, I was expecting our first child, so I'm going to college. And So when I left college, my grade point average was like .87. <laughs> I was in that 5% that made the other 90, you know, other people be able to be in the top 95%. <laughs> and I knew that if I answered this call to ministry, I would have to go back to college. And I didn't believe I was smart enough to pass a college class. And God couldn't be calling me because I didn't have the wherewithal to do what he was asking me to do. And so I, I struggled, and I, I argued with God. And apparently God wasn't aware of all the facts that I was aware of. And <laughs> his call kept pulling on my heart. And finally one day I was so thoroughly convinced that God was calling me that I made an appointment with the registrar at Spring Harbor College where I'd left a .87 grade point uh, behind uh, 20 years ago. And as I sat across from the registrar, he had my grades there in front of him. And I was so embarrassed, I just wanted to crawl under the table. And I cried all the way home from embarrassment. But I, I filled out the application, and I was accepted I was 38 years old, and I had to start on academic probation. <laughs> so some of the things that God asks us to do are real hard, and there are obstacles that we have to overcome. But if you're going to experience God's turnarounds and see God at work in your life, you'll have to take those steps of faith. And then you have to rely on God for the outcome. You know, Joseph trusted God, and he did the next right thing. Moses held the staff up over the water because God said to, and, and, he, and he stepped out in faith. David took some stones in his hand, and he headed towards the giant. In Scripture, whenever there's a story that ends with people cheering, it's because someone relied on God to do the impossible through them. Paul understood how God does the impossible. He wrote in Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. When we rely on God, God will enable you to do the things that seem humanly impossible. And I ended up getting a straight four point um, in college. I went ahead and went back and took the classes that over again that I had failed. And at one point, um, one of the professors came to me and asked if she could use my story. She was putting a proposal before the board of directors um, on a forgiveness policy that would enable people to get scholarships because I wasn't eligible for a scholarship until I was a senior. Uh, and so uh, she was putting together this policy that would enable people to get scholarships who had not-so-seller histories like um, me. But even after I uh, finished with this GPA in, in college, I didn't, still didn't believe that I had what it took to pass a master's level class. And so I just really argued with God about that for a while, too. But then I went to the seminary, and God brought me through that, and I got straight A's in, in seminary, except for an A minus in Greek exegesis. Greek will get you every time. And, and I'm not telling you that to say how smart I am or how great I am, but I'm telling you that to boast about what God can do if you'll trust him. And if you'll step out in, in faith and do what seems impossible, 
what, whatever question marks you have about the future, um, there's nothing too hard for God who created everything that exists. You know, sometimes we look at people that God is using for his purposes and we think that they got where they are smooth sailing. But the truth is most people's stories have a rough patch in them somewhere where they had to choose to trust God or to give up. And as I look around this room, I see face after face after face after face after face after face and story after story of people who, through faith in God, have endured hard things and seen God write great endings. Whatever situation you're facing that takes faith right now, whether it's in the church or in your own life, I want to remind you, you do not know what God will do next but you can choose what you do next. You don't know what God will do, but you can decide what you will do. And as we take steps of faith to overcome barriers and rely on God for the outcome, the next thing we need to do is to give God all the glory. Give God all the glory. As we come to the communion table this morning and share in the Lord's Supper one last time together, we're reminded that we've given ourselves to this divine task of serving together, to all the work that we've done, all of the events that we planned, the difficulties that we've overcome. It's all for the sake of Jesus Christ and to fulfill his purposes and to see Jesus glorified. Yeah, he's the only one worthy of praise. I've only been to one movie where the audience actually stood up and applauded and cheered at the end. Um, Forrest and I went to see the movie The Passion of the Christ. Uh, did anybody see that? It, was, it came out in 2004. So it was very graphic, um, and we watched in horror as Jesus went through this immense suffering. He was beaten, and then he was beaten some more. He was crucified and hung on a cross, and he endured this agonizing death, and it was all very graphic and difficult to watch. And then his body is laid in this a tomb on a cold stone, and um, it's just dark and hopeless. And then three days later, Jesus was raised to life again. And when Jesus walked out of, out of that tomb on, on the screen there in front of us, the whole theater, everyone in the theater stood and started to applaud and to hoot and to holler and to clap. And I thought the applause would never end. Jesus is the one whose life, death, and resurrection leaves us cheering. What, what God did through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ has left people cheering over the centuries. And that story is retold here at this table. And you get to share in it when you hold out your hand and receive a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and the words, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you are spoken. In that moment, your story gets blended together with that story, that raised to life, hand clapping, heaven cheering to God be the glory ending. It's been a privilege to serve this raised to life Jesus Christ with you over the last several years. And it's been a joy to, to pray for you and for your families, to, to love your children, and to um, be a part of this chapter in your spiritual journey. 
I, I hope that I've expressed my love to you over the last several years and especially over the last uh, few weeks. And I thank you for, for loving Forrest and I um, so well. And now as we uh, move to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask Forrest to come and help me serve. The altar is always open, and communion in the United Methodist Church is open table. Everyone's invited to to come and participate in it. On the night that uh, Jesus gave his life for us, uh, he sat at table with his friends, and they shared a meal together like we're doing today. And during the meal, he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. After the meal, he took the cup, and he gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then he said, As often as you share this meal together, do it in remembrance of me. Friends, this is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ given for you, given for me, given for the world. Let's pray. Let's pray. Loving God, in the quiet of this moment, I, I thank you from all my heart to, for each person here. I thank you that you love them so much that you gave your life for them, for me. And I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice, just simple elements. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we can be the body of Christ for the world. I ask these things in Jesus' name.